0: Welcome back to the podcast episode number 72 now we get to work with some really wonderful people wonderful chefs wonderful farmers and Elliot Guy is no exception to that at all Future Wild is the name of her amazing business and we're going to talk to her today and get to know what Future Wild does but today's podcast is brought to you by Green Endeavor Green Endeavor is the company that houses the brands Fruit Link and Suncoast Fresh where we aim to create sustainable communities where people are educated inspired and empowered through the joy of real food also brought to you by chef notepad you have to get this if you're a chef and you want to become a sustainable business because it'll keep you on track chef notepad check that out on insta or their website okay let's get into this episode number 72 elia guy and we're on Elliot Guy, Future Wild, welcome to the broadcast.
1: Thanks Graham. it's so fun to be here, especially after a fun morning.
0: All these gardens on rooftops and river lines and places all around Brisbane, where did you get the inspiration to, um, you know, start this wonderful Future Wild business? Let me ask that question one more time. Because Future Wild, we've been unwilding the world for so long as a little human who lived, grew up in Brisbane, tell us about your inspiration of rewilding without even realising that was going to happen in the future.
1: Yeah, I think it's a. I think about this a lot in terms of how did I get to where I am? Because I think urban farming is a bit of a random thing to be doing, and there are lots of. In, there's a lot of things in my life that have kind of fed into me being where I am today. So, um, yeah, I grew up in Brisbane, um, in Toowoomba actually. Um, Ran around creeks a lot, spent a lot of time outside. So I'm definitely a nature, I was a nature child for sure. Um, and I think I also spent a lot of time in my grandmother's garden. And we just realized the other day that her, she lived in this like kind of duplexy townhouse thing in Turinga. And we realized the other day that her, she's got a rooftop garden. And that was in the like 80s and 90s that that kind of whole apartment wow. building was built. And It only occurred to us the other day when we were talking about it that that i was spent a lot of time up there and it's crazy that that was a thing that i was kind of exposed to very early on was this concept of having these beautiful gardens in very abstract places like on top of roofs and i spent a lot of time in her garden so that was kind of one of the ways that i started thinking about i guess subconsciously nature in urban spaces um I studied environmental science that's my background i have a background in ecology actually um which was just such a natural thing for me to go into after school with the background that i had in just loving nature so much um
0: so what dragged yourself over to europe what did you go over there for just being 20 and thought you better do that tick that box or
1: uh yeah look i finished my i finished uni and i was like do i do a phd or do i move to paris
0: Oh, easy answer. Paris
1: one. Yeah.
0: Yeah. How long did that take to work out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it was
1: a lot of fun. I had a great time. I think that was one of the places where I got exposed again to this concept of urban agriculture. It's really huge in Paris. It's really becoming a massive focus for their city actually at the moment. And while I was over there, there was actually a little business that had set up um, outside restaurants and cafes. They would do little pots and they'd have these beautiful little green spaces, outside cafes around Paris. And I thought, God, that's really cool. I'd love to do something like that. And I also ran into this girl over there while I was there working in this juice bar run by this great New Yorker mm-hmm. called Mark Grossman. He had Bob's Juice Bar. I worked there for a bit. Yeah. Um, and this customer would come in all the time and she was really interested in urban ag in Paris and she was kind of at the forefront of thinking about that at the time. And I think that kind of opened my eyes up as well. but. Yeah, uni was a really big um, focus for me in terms of doing environmental science, really exposed to everything. Like, you do every single um, kind of subject that you yeah. could think of. So, we did soil science, botany, zoology, climatology. Like, we really studied geology, you really study everything. So, I got to the end of my time at uni thinking about what I wanted to do for my honours, and I ended up finding this course in environmental toxicology and I was pretty hooked because I didn't realise you could study chemicals in the environment and the effect that they had on ecosystems. So I'd been learning all about ecosystems and and all these amazing ecosystems we have in Australia, but also very cognizant of the fact that we have all these impacts as humans on these ecosystems. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did environmental toxicology for my honours year. I studied herbicides in floodwaters and I think that was the thing that got me really interested in organic Wow. agriculture because I just thought we are having such a huge impact on the environment. I did some studies. We had a site up um, in the Great Barrier Reef and we were picking up in those water samples from the floodwaters DDT, which was banned in Australia in 1987. So there are these persistent, they're called persistent organic pollutions wow. and they're still in the environment. And I just thought we can't, we've got to stop, like yes. we've got to stop with the chemicals. Um, and I think organic agriculture and regenerative agriculture really um, provide a way of thinking about how we can do farming that doesn't involve these pollutions.
0: Wow, that's, it's really inspirational. And um, um, we'll, we'll talk about the soil, but let's talk about some of the other benefits and, and reasons why people not only should um, grow things um, on their own veranda at home, mm. but we—why should we be encouraging restaurants to have a little plot at, at their place, whether it be on the rooftop or even something small as, as one pot or, or whatever it might be? Why, 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 why should we encourage this?
1: I think it's really the connection. It's reconnecting, and there are so many people that come past our or come through our gardens that we have for Future Wild, and you can just see that the minute that they walk into that environment, they're immediately lit up, and we you know as of it's only the past 60 or 70 years that we haven't been growing our own food mm. and there's something in us as humans like innately that that we we want to be connected to our food. We want to understand where it grows, but we've just forgotten about that. We've been de-educated in a sense.
0: Oh my god, that's such a great statement. So there's a few restaurants who have been doing it. You know, like Bray does it down there in mm. Victoria, and you know, Fu- uh, Future World. Well, uh, that's you. Uh, Future Food System. Uh, uh, Yoast and Joe and Matt and 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 uh, probably another big team behind there did that amazing thing down there. Um, so what is what are you? Um, so you've done the the. Tell us about the one at HSW that you did.
1: Well, that was my first job. So what happened was I started Future Wild and I just in a serendipitous moment was able to connect with Alana um, Sapwell Uh, and she was opening ARC along with Howard Smith Wolves as part of the, that was kind of the main restaurant when it was first opened and she really wanted there to be a kitchen garden connected with her um, restaurant and so we had a great chat and worked out that that would be something that, I could help her with and kind of embarked on this journey and um, HSW has a huge focus on sustainability so it really fitted in beautifully with their approach yep. um, to what they wanted to do down there they're absolutely incredible in terms of waste minimization they've got an incredible pro- like system at the moment down there and I think this kitchen garden at art kind of just topped that off and yeah. Alana was so passionate about and still is so passionate about connecting with local growers and making sure that her Produces that she's sourcing is seasonal, and also just that she cooks in a way that I think really um, celebrates the taste of locally grown. You can, you know, she'll get beautiful carrots from falls, and mm. and then. And just show the taste of them without kind of Yeah, she doesn't mess with it too much, too much. Is, yeah
0: so. Yeah. That garden was very handy for us. We stole a lot of stuff from there too. Sorry, Lana. <laughs> I'm glad to hear you that. Probably you probably actually, actually stole it and sold it back to her, potentially. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the time the great time shortage of of, of uh of uh, August twenty twenty two. Um, yeah, so that one is beautiful, and you said before about how you got inspired of how people get inspired. Um, you do. You walk through there um, now in that beautiful passion fruit vine, which obviously blocks some for you there, but there's a, you focus on the passion fruit. Mm.
1: That section there, having the chefs, we do the harvest, drop it off to them every Friday, um, they just are so appreciative, and I think that's why I love growing for chefs so much is because they're so passionate about this fresh produce mm. and they just, you really feel so um happy when you know that you can be giving something to someone and they lo- just love it so much yeah but it's beautiful showing that it can be down by the river as well in this like we're right in the middle of brisbane right it, yeah and we're growing bana- like you said bananas we've just put a crop of garlic in we've got some hoppy blue corn growing at the moment which is totally out of season but it kind of it's been such a weird season um that <laughs> the it's world been is kind out of, hard. of season at the moment that's right it's been hard to keep up so we're kind of having to adapt that's Not- a great segue seasons Seasons.
0: Seasons. Look at that. It's a scarlet. She's helping out. Um, Yeah. Well. Okay. Tell us about um, the importance of seasons and how they've changed in the last few years. Mm.
1: It's been, yeah, it's been tough growing over these last few years. I mean, not only due to COVID, but obviously we've just been through one of the biggest flooding events that the city has ever seen and that luckily our gardens weren't affected too much. but.
0: Which is completely weird when you think about it. It's amazing. Down by the river, (laughs) I was just
1: so that whole week. I was so stressed the whole time, and it was just a miracle. Adam
0: Flaskus must have paid somebody that
1: (laughs) (laughs) Some really excellent engineering design things going on there. (laughs) Um, But the seasonality, yeah, it's definitely shifting. I know that farmers, obviously, you're seeing this in your business in terms of like herbs are just impossible at the moment. We've just seen lettuces, all of the lettuce story. It's about really, I think what our our way out of this is that we've got to see it as these are the new challenges and how do we start adapting to that. And and I think that that's what regenerative agriculture and organic farming can offer is that it's about being adaptive and it's also about choosing your crops wisely. So for example, um, the the variety of what you're growing is so important. So we've we grow this species of basil called um basil prospera. It's it's probably not the most heirloom species, but it's been developed in order to be really resistant to powdery mildew. And that basil made it through that rainy, you know, yeah. what was it, a month of rain? Yeah. It made it through without getting Anything
0: you know? Every farmer's planning that now. The secret is gone.
1: (laughs) Yes, all the seeds going to be gone. (laughs) But it's really about like how can we adapt to this now? Yeah, we're really. I mean, we can be doing things like making sure that our soils are healthy and it is carbon capture, and we're trying to mitigate climate change going forward. But then we are also already in this now, and we need to think about how we're adapting. And I think the other thing is how do we start growing species of food? that are suited, for example, in Brisbane to our subtropical climate. And I think previously I'd come into this thinking, God, it's so frustrating being up here. We can't grow apples and, you know, berries and it, it's difficult. But I'm now starting to realise, like, there's such opportunity in that. So we've got also a rooftop on the top of the Cal Yes.
0: Yeah, so Not to jump ahead to too one. much. No, no, but, no, no, jump ahead. It's um, so good. Uh, yeah.
1: And that's a really, been a really beautiful project. We've got these wicking beds up on the top of the Cal in James Street in the valley and... We're growing for the Lobby Bar. So Andy Gunn and his wife, Emily um, head up the Lobby Bar at the moment and we've got these huge gardens. Yep. I have to have you come and have a look at them. Oh, I actually, been-
0: actually was there the other day oh. and I rang Andy. I said, hey, but he uh, was too busy for me, even though I employed him when he couldn't. No, no, no. <laughs> no, Andy's a great guy and he absolutely talks about how... <laughs> that garden has offered him the, the freshest of fresh. I think maybe you told me that. Um, but I've also heard it through Glenn, who works with him every all the time. And literally he sent back some radish the other day that he bought off us. He goes, oh, sorry, I found some in the garden. He's like, oh, great, we'll drive in there and pick up two radishes for you. No worries. <laughs> I'll but,
1: start uh, supplying you guys with <laughs> radishes from yeah, yeah. the lobby bar.
0: <laughs> yes, well, you know our future plans, which we'll get <laughs> to in a minute. Yes. Um, yeah, so there must be loads of work that goes into it. Uh, is it... It and um, so tell us about the soil and uh, and how how important that is.
1: This is such a huge focus, and the research on this is just emerging at the moment. I mean, we're all kind of it's just starting to come up as everyone in this space realizing how important the soil is. And gosh, there's so much I could say on this, Graham. I don't even know mm. where to start. But. Well- well yeah. I
0: guess I want people to understand how much work does go into it oh. so that they can comprehend why and but also I want to then do you tell them that you know you know what what you offer and how you make it easier for them and um, you know if you are doing something at home maybe maybe work maybe a little quick recipe so that you know because everything that I try and doesn't quite work so that's why we're working with you but um (laughs) yeah so so maybe a little bit on that just well
1: I'll give you yeah absolutely I'll give you an example from when we put these beds in it the Kalal. so we our first focus was how do we get this soil to be as amazing as possible and when you think about it the plant is in the soil it's getting everything it needs from the soil and if you've got a soil that's devoid of microorganisms and it's essentially a little bit dead in that sense, then the plant, we're just learning about how the plant has all these incredible um, symbiotic relationships with the microbiota in the soil. So those microbiota live around the root system, the rhizosphere of the plant. And they're made up of a whole heap of things. So there's bacteria, fungi, protozoa, nematodes. There's a range of yeah. microorganisms. That... Oh, do
0: I've seen Avatar.
1: <laughs> oh, yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: the perfect educational movie. <laughs>
0: um,
1: so those are around the root of the plant and they, um, they essentially enable the plant to access the nutrients and minerals that are in the soil. Um, and if you have a dead soil that doesn't have those in it, the plant's going to suffer because it doesn't have the relationships that it needs in mm. order to access all of the things in the soil that it can't access itself. Yeah. So those, um, the, the microbi like the microbiology of the soil is the kind of like the delivery system for the plant of of what it needs in order to eat. And the plant the symbiotic relationship is that the plant, when it's photosynthesizing, is creating sugars and it releases them through and proteins, it releases them through its roots. And those Microbiota then feed on those as well. And they're just starting to realize that the plant has a lot of control over this. So it can send out certain things to attract certain microbiota according to what it needs. Nice. It's amazing. So if you're putting plants into a dead soil, essentially this is the kind of thing. If you're putting them into a dead soil, you're going to have to feed them a lot of chemical fertilizers, which is essentially just nitrogen phosphorus and potassium where they the plant is able to take those up immediately Mm. but they're not necessarily getting all of the extra things that they need to be a healthy plant in the same way that we can't survive on junk food we need to get all those nutrients and minerals from healthy nutrient dense hopefully organic food in order to really thrive as humans and the plant needs the same thing so it's almost like we think about our gut microbiome in the same way we need to start thinking about the soil in the same way Um, And so at the Kala, we did a green manure when we first started. So that is a crop of really fast-growing legumes and various other plants that grow really fast. Mm. You let it grow to the point of flowering and then you cut them down. You let them compost and decompose into the soil. That essentially feeds all those microbiota in the soil and you kind of like supercharging the soil up ready to go for um, a new I'm sorry, I'm distracted because I've been a terrible podcast (laughs) guest and forgot to put my phone on silent. That's all
0: right, very important.
1: (laughs) So that was really our focus for the Kalil and I think that and it is our focus at Howard Smith Wolves as well. For all of our gardens, it's all about the soil and then we go from Mm. there. So we're at the moment also um, using a thing called biochar. This is a really excellent product. If anyone, it's not super easy to get your hands on it at the moment, but if you can get some, it's essentially wood or organic matter that's been burnt at a very low temperature with low oxygen and Mm. it forms this what we call biochar it's got just so many it's so porous so it's got a huge surface area which the microbes can then come in and live inside essentially it's like a little microbe hotel you mix that through the soil you've got to charge it up before you mix it through the soil so you charge it up with um microbes and fungal inoculants and kelp and all of these good things. I saw that on your Insta. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I was doing some of that yesterday actually, doing some crushing Mm. of the biochar and then soaking it in all these beautiful inoculants and then we'll mix that into the soil and that will essentially provide a home for the microbes to live in. And so we're just constantly thinking about what are the ways that we can feed our microbial community in the soil and and how can we get them kind of pumping in order to really...
0: Okay. So chefs, they can cook, right? They can make beautiful stocks. They Mm. can make beautiful agents sources, they can do all sorts of things. Um, is this the same mentality with getting the soil ready? Is it like a recipe that you sort of gotta think about? And are they have a right like I am, nervous about getting that right? Because I feel like you could mess it up as well. Is it is it a bit like a person who can't cook trying to, you know, to cook a recipe as a person who can't garden trying to get the soil right?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I don't think so. I think it's just understanding having a bit of understanding of of it, you can't really get it wrong if if you're doing certain things. So um, if you're feeding the soil all of the right things, so if your worm castings are another big thing, and I think this is back to your earlier question that I probably haven't answered about what can people do at home, having a worm farm is probably one of the most powerful things that you can do at the moment because if you have some worm castings, we're not talking about the worm juice, the the stuff that comes off the worm farm, the liquid, we're talking about the um beautiful dark brown stuff in the bottom yeah yeah in the bottom
0: of the three level thing you feed the top one and it falls through falls through they eat that and turn it into it's It's casting
1: it's worm poo it's worm poo it's worm poo poo. yep and the thing with worms is that they have this gut that contains just an extraordinary extraordinary number of bacteria Mm. so it's not really it's it's really the bacteria in the worm that's doing the amazing job so the material passes through the worm, gets pooed out and that worm casting is like it's just packed, jam packed full of a microbial powerhouse mm. and you add just even a little bit of that to your soil and you've got like I, I would say that would be the easiest way of um, getting it right and and if you're feeding it compost and and making sure that you're kind of composting in a way that the compost isn't stinky or I mean there's an art and science to compost but it's not very hard to learn mm. and if you learn that and also add lots of compost as well that's those are the two things that I think can really help. Yeah. And you can't it's very difficult to get those wrong once you understand what it needs it's very sensorial as well if that's even a word. If you if it smells sweet and and looks good and you almost feel like you might want to eat it then you know that you're on to the right thing. If it's looking gross and smelling disgusting you probably the plant's probably not going to want to have that around it either, you know. So it's getting a bit more in touch with. I get it. Is does this feel good?
0: Yeah, I like it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so what? Um, so what? So tell us about actually um, what small restaurants should do uh, in relation to having a garden, and uh, and what does your what do you do to help them do that?
1: Yeah, this is what I am just so passionate about because I think that chefs have this incredible audience and engagement with people in terms of. Mm. They really help us understand food, they help us enjoy it, they kind of open our minds to what good food can be and I think that they can be huge change makers in how we move forward. Agriculture is one of the most significantly polluting and um, kind of, no, I don't want to say bad, that's a kind of very general term, but... Conventional agriculture has a lot of bad impacts on the environment, and and when we're moving in more into organic, biodynamic, regenerative agriculture, that can have a huge impact on the health of the soil, mm. humans.
0: It's like a it's humans. like a change to renewable energy. It, it's sort of happening, but it's so slow. Like that's the, that's right. The bigger farms that feel the sense of responsibility now and know that they need to get a jump ahead of the curve. Anyone who's got any money who can afford to actually do that. Um, but yeah, it it is.
1: And the chefs Slog. can champion. Yes. So I think that they really have a role in championing that. And they are so passionate about food as well. It Like you start, you taste an organic carrot compared to a conventionally oh. grown carrot. It's just out of this world. It makes
0: their job easier, doesn't it? It does. Yeah,
1: yeah absolutely. So I see I,
0: chefs as the catwalk of fashion slash oh. food fashion. And if they catch on and do things, we've made them into rock stars that they are, and um and they can turn you know stuff into wonderful things. And the old cheat way was to add sugar or this mm. or that. But now, we're more and more, and that's why falls are doing such a great job, and and uh, and people who can grow, you know, the the right way, uh, e.g., in these gardens uh, and things, can actually enhance their restaurants, you know, ability to please customers. So
1: absolutely, yes. and it's the community around that as well, right? Yeah. Like the the diners will come in, and if there's a garden. They're much more likely to be engaging in that space mm. and, or asking about, oh, did this ch- like did these chives come from just out there? And they can see them. Mm. I mean, so the with our gardens, we're not trying to supply the whole restaurant. Like that's people like your yeah. job at the moment. Yeah, it's really about having that connection point for the diners. About wow, there's like you actually can grow garlic in the city. That's amazing. Yeah, we've got this garlic and parsley butter on at the lobby bar that Andy's done at the moment and knowing that you're getting garlic from the rooftop like I think it just kind of opens people's eyes to what's possible and Mm. and chefs have such a big role to play in that and can create this beautiful community around food because food is the connecting force isn't it like Mm. it's what brings us all together
0: yeah no I think it's truly beautiful so um you can help us in a little project we just, just a little baby one. <laughs> yeah. So um, I guess this is the announcement. We haven't really announced this yet, but um, we're building a, a new uh, facility uh, across the road um, from the Brisbane markets, and it's up out of the flood. And then it's another got a, a few levels on, on the office part, and there's going to be a rooftop garden, and that's going to be for us to play in slash do education and grow some little bits and pieces for sure. So I know Kelvin from um, uh, the, uh, the SK group has already said, look, I need a little spot up there. So um, yeah, and through that, uh, we will also get all these benefits of appreciation, understanding the seasons, and um, and we'll be able to then also educate the Fruit length side of retail type customers on how to do little things at home with tips and tricks from uh, Elia from Future World. And we'll have to start that channel up soon. Um, so we can you know, start to um, create a sustainable community uh, where people are educated, inspired and empowered, uh, which is what we say we do. So, uh, and we try very hard to do that. So um, tell us about, you tell us your version of what you think you're going to help us with over there.
1: Well, I just think this is so exciting because I think it's really, you've got such a great space and you're really wanting to do best practice. I mean, it's better than best practice. That's a stupid term, actually. It's yeah. like beyond what anyone could imagine for a warehouse. So I'm yeah. really excited to help you with that. Um, and it, we're going to be getting these wicking beds up on the rooftop. Um We'll really be looking, as I've said. Obviously, I'm a big soil nerd, and I want to make sure that we've got the best possible soil ever. So we'll be really. Today f-
0: we're over there. You were like eating the soil. Like, this is horrible. <laughs> What's there at the moment?
1: So. What's this gross stuff? <laughs> so we'll be focusing, big focus on the soil, and it's really about, like you just said, having a space for people to kind of see what what can be done in mm. urban areas and and connecting people back in with mm. the food growing. So. Um, Yeah, I think also thinking about all the varieties that we can grow, that's going to be really exciting. I know you've got a big list of exciting both native and kind of other species that that will be growing in, and leaf. beetle leaf
0: that's a good one <laughs> yeah i see those photos from singapore i'm like man there's is growing everywhere over there i know it's a little bit more tropical oh it's
1: um am- yeah it's yeah. amazing so delicious so that'll
0: all happen um soon and you're you're starting to always um you're planning and thinking about that for us already and have been mm. probably for two years
1: yeah um, it's always a big so, lead in so, with these things
0: so that's the big uh the the green endeavor building which will house the brands of suncoast fresh and fruit link Uh, across the road from the Brisbane markets and we are really excited about working with you on that. Can't wait. So what else is going on in your life? What do you do to look after yourself to make sure that you're at the top of your game and and looking after yourself in business?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Look, I think this has Um, been such an easy one to let go of recently, just, you know, with being locked in at home and forgetting, like getting out of routine. Um, I do normally do a lot of yoga. I haven't done a lot of that recently. need to get back into that. Um, running is also my like release and I actually used to row. I've been thinking recently about maybe I should get back into rowing, but I don't know if early garden mornings and rowing go together. We'll see how that goes. Um, you do
0: go for walks up Mount Cutha. I do I remember, lots of walks me. up
1: Mount Cutha. Mount Cutha is just one of my favourite spots. Um, that bush, it's that forest bathing, which oh, yeah. is I think yeah, so yeah. important. It really gets you back into things. So,
0: you know, go on and bathing in the tree, so to speak, and feeling the the dare I say it energy and the what's going on in the bushes. Is that what you mean?
1: Yes, exactly. Okay. Soaking that all up. I think the other thing that I am trying to do a lot more at the moment is just kind of connecting in with that more creative side. And I think this is what we need going forward. You know, like we kind of think that where I was definitely, you know, at school brought up in this, I'm doing science and I'm scientific and I have no artistic side, but I think Mm. we're starting to realize that we're so multifaceted as humans we don't just fit into one stream Mm. so it's been really lovely um i'm now in my 30s which feels a bit crazy Mm. and starting me too (laughs) (laughs) we're all in our 30s
0: (laughs) i I identify with 30 okay
1: (laughs) i feel like that might be the age i think this is going to be the age that i am forever now is this i can just see how you kind of get I am so
0: immature. It's fine. that. Uh, yeah.
1: They say your brain stops developing at twenty five. Like, it's is that yeah? So we're just all twenty five year olds in mm-hmm. perpetuity. I guess. Yeah, <laughs> that's nice. I can, <laughs> I can deal with that. Um, yeah, I just thinking connecting more with my creative side and and thinking about creative ways of getting through these next this next decade. Like we're going to have a lot of challenges thrown at us, and I think thinking about things differently that's a big thing for me at the moment is like how can we do things differently and I think that's why I'm so in awe of what you guys are doing because you're really thinking about that every day how can we do this Mm. thing differently and how can we break out of the mould of what society tells us to do of what we like are expecting ourselves to do to fit in Mm. it's not time to fit in anymore it's time to just break out.
0: It is I can't agree more I love hearing you say that um I, I totally think if we don't flip everything upside down like literally we were talking the other day so let's flip the org chart upside down for this business because yeah. you know we're the foundation we're the, called founders we should be on the bottom of the foundation let's let's be the soil let's be the stuff that helps yeah. launch everyone in the business to great heights you know so they could be you know blossom and and, uh, and and grow as well so that's um, great I love that yeah. absolutely yeah uh, what about books you're reading any good books at the moment you can recommend
1: Oh, Yes, goodness. I do read a lot of books. I often have about ten on the go, which I know is probably not a very good idea. But I just kind doubles
0: of... as a bedside table. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I've got a good one that like fits my stack of books underneath it. um I'm reading this book. It's called Fungi. I think it's by oh, Merlin Sh- Sheldon. Oh, I reckon
0: I got upstairs. Yeah.
1: Yes. Most wonderful name for someone who writes about fungi, I reckon. Merlin, I buy lots Merlin of books. Sheldrake.
0: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to read that one day.
1: <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. I'm like that too. It's nice to have a library. Books yes. make me feel very comfortable. I feel like they're little friends waiting for me just to come, come and, and hang out. Come and hang out. Yeah. So that's what I'm reading at the moment. It's mind blowing. would recommend everyone read that. I think it just gives an insight into this whole other world of fungi, which we absolutely have, have until recently had no idea about. Um, And Soil by Nicole Masters, that's been a really excellent book that I've loved, kind of ripped through that, and she talks all about how it's called For the Love of Soil and it's about how we should be regenerating our soils essentially and it's so inspiring and it's really accessible for everyone who wants to know anything about soil, not just people on the land. Mm. Um, They'd be my top two at the moment, I'd say.
0: Who are you looking up to in, in the gardening game? Oh
1: yes, God! Again, there are so many people. (laughs) I actually have just been listening to some podcasts. Alice Waters, who's a chef, over in the US, and I'm gonna have totally forgotten what her restaurant's called, which is terrible.
0: Get on the beautiful (laughs) scale.
1: She is. She started a um, education, like a food garden education program for primary schools over in the US. Beautiful. Back in like 1994, she was such a pioneer. In the same way that Stephanie Alexander's really been a pioneer for us in Australia in the um, school kind of kitchen garden sphere. But Alice just has this beautiful outlook on on how we can use food as um, as a force for good. And her restaurant was Chez Panisse. Thanks, Scarlett. That's really helpful. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You might have heard of that. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's really about her connecting. She's connecting the diners to the food and how can we do things in a way that is making the food the centre.
0: One other thing I wanted to say um, that I missed out of my notes here. <laughs> mm. uh, you spoke in a talk that you did. Was that a, What talk was that?
1: That was a Petcha Kucha talk at the Powerhouse. Uh, yes. It's on my website if anyone wants to watch it. It was a bit nerve wracking. We will put it a link great.
0: to that somewhere as well on this Instagram post. <laughs> um, So what you talked about there was, you know, we have the beautiful Blue Mountains and lots of beautiful national parks in Australia. I'm very grateful for all of them. Mm. But, you know, just quickly touch on how we can maximise the use of space in industrial estates, in rooftops, in things. Just quickly touch on how we probably don't maximise the use of spaces.
1: Yeah, so I guess to go back a step, what I really... The reason that I started thinking about this, where all the spaces that we can start growing in cities, is this understanding that we think of nature as this kind of pristine thing that exists out in the national parks, but in order to move forward as, like, humanity that's more in touch with the natural world, we've got to realise that we can create nature. It's not just out there in these pristine, and they're not even pristine anymore, unfortunately, national parks. We've got all of these spaces we've got little garden beds next to car parks and rooftops that could have garden beds in them and little street beds and verges all of these places have so much potential to be growing um, biodiversity and more native species food of course always food you can be mixing the both like both of them actually they would work wonderfully together so it's about just trying to pack in as as many plants as we can and that Brings with it healthier soil. It brings with it more birds, insects, biodiversity yeah. in the city, and there's a big potential. I mean, it, Brisbane is probably one of the best cities to be living in to to be thinking about this because you just walk around. I can't. Every day I drive around and I think, oh, look at that beautiful little patch. There's there's so much land. That How we're be I
0: growing stuff off the Story Bridge? <gasps> huh? The
1: Story Bridge, also the Gray Street Bridge. I'd love yeah. to do something with that one day.
0: Council, there's an opportunity. Yeah,
1: Olympic Games. Can we? Ah. I think we need to be growing food for the Olympians as well.
0: Well, let's keep that a secret. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, um, you know, to, to wrap up. Um, Um, I've got to get all your details, which we'll tell everyone. But, you know, let's imagine your perfect world for 2050. Tell me what it is.
1: I think that for me it would be where we're living in our suburb, we have access to and participate actively in a market garden farm in the way that the boys at Neighbourhood and Loop and also Phil and Alice at Loop and Matt and Meeker at Neighbourhood You know, they're creating this community around their farm and Mm. enabling people to access local food, getting people involved as well. And I just think that that is the model that we need to be thinking about going forward. Um, We've seen it recently with the floods and just all of the kind of chaos essentially, climate chaos essentially is what it is, interrupting our current food system and the way that we distribute food and access food that's not going to work going forward. We need to start bringing the food back into our community and and participating in growing it. And even if you don't have time to be out in the field every day, it's about supporting the farmer who does and Mm. then they're the ones who will be looking after your livelihood essentially because they're growing what goes into your body,
0: Mm.
1: which is powering you. So... I think
0: food's a funny word, isn't it? Because I know that you and I probably think of food as something that grows from the ground. Or whatever, but mm. the, the unfortunately, that inside of the supermarket run oh. um, is what a lot of people call food. And I, we could get we could talk about this all day, but we mm. won't. But, um, yeah, so I, I know when you talk about food in general, you're talking about the good stuff, the stuff you can grow, the stuff that does grow, and um, and all that sort of thing. Scarlett, kind of just say yeah. it. Um,
1: how do you think we're going to shift the but I have avocado toast every day, like notion. Mm. How are we going to, you know, like we, we try our best at Suncoast Fresh of educating seasonal kind of veg and fruit, but how do we kind of, we you know, we have accustomed to having everything, this instantaneous world, mm. like how do people start changing that? Like what? how are we going to?
0: Through education, inspiration, empowerment.
1: <sighs> Absolutely. I mean, we're doing it. But, you know, how do we involve What's the community to do it? Yeah, it is about education. I think that that's the primary thing. And I think that's, again, to come back to the chefs, that's where they can really play a role because they're helping us understand how we can grow, well, eat this food that might be more seasonal and also new food that we haven't thought about that grows better. So in the subtropics there are things we were growing actually on the top of the rooftop this variety of bean called winged bean and I was also growing it for Alana as well and Andy and Alana were then using this winged bean which mm. grows beautifully in the subtropics, much better than what the normal French bean, bean would grow in it some seasons. It flies out the door. It's beautiful.
0: Boom, boom. boom. There, you had one job. <laughs> <laughs> had to get.
1: So that's, I think, um, the education and just opening opening people's minds to what's possible because i think we just get stuck in these ruts of like oh well i have to always have the cauliflower available so that i can make this particular dish and kind of helping understand that we can make we can either substitute the cauliflower with something or we can substitute the green beans with something when they're not in season and and yeah education is it
0: Um, i think also from a customer's perspective being um being 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 open to flexibility with menus. You know, when they don't have something, be okay with it. Or, you know, when they're using something different or when they change their menu, be be okay with that because not everything's available all the time and so it shouldn't be. We should celebrate the seasons and enjoy them like Christmas because of Christmas every day. It'd be shit.
1: It would be, yeah, and you just get sick of it, right? Yeah. So it's really about embracing that change as well and kind of feeling into the differences of the seasons. And it, that's all about getting more connected with the earth as well and, and the seasons. And if we're kind of more connected, the minute that you... I mean, it, you can just start doing this in tiny steps. If you start... If you live around Oxley or near Loop, for example, um, go and visit the farm and understand how things are being grown or start trying to source your food from falls, for example. or
0: Take your kids.
1: Take your kids and understand how it's grown and taste what it tastes like to eat a carrot that's in season. Yeah, okay. And then you'll only want the carrots when they're in season because you know how bloody good they taste.
0: <laughs> Couple of quick f- fast questions. Uh what's your favorite fruit? Mango. Favorite veg?
1: Oh. Um oh god. Pumpkin.
0: Favorite cheap eat in Brisbane, not not so not oh, you know the expensive Merch ones. Match masala. Match masala. Very cool. That's
1: not really organic food, but (laughs) it's pretty delicious. Uh, If you
0: had a billboard that was free to put a big sign up in, what would you say on it?
1: Know your farmer.
0: Okay. Love it. The question here, these are stock standard questions, which we ask a few people. If you weren't a chef, what would you be? I'm going to say gardener.
1: If I wasn't a gardener, what would I be? Yes.
0: We've changed that. Good work a chef <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. A chef. Um, oh yeah no I'm so glad there are chefs because I'm not the best I mean I can cook I can cook well but I I don't it's not my thing I love gardening so what would I be if I wasn't a gardener I think I'd be a writer I think writing has such power in the world maybe I can do both I'd love to be able to do both favorite beer oh I can't drink beer anymore but F- IPA
0: favorite wine
1: definitely champagne
0: afternoon snack
1: almonds that's boring. where
0: can people find <laughs> you and learn more about you uh
1: my website is futurewild.com.au i'm on insta at future.wild and they're probably the main two places yeah beautiful
0: thank you for being a part of our little podcast you're an amazing person and i can't wait to support you into the future and uh let's get wild
1: thanks Graham. it's been such a pleasure
0: Wow, how good was that, Elia? Cares about the planet, cares about the future. You can't get better than that. If you enjoyed that, click it onto a friend. That'd be great for us. And if you haven't already, check us out on Instagram, Suncoast_Fresh, and we will see you next time.